We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, Smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands, hands, hands. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today by the man who is spending his last day as 29 years old talking about the Indiana Pacers' loss. It's the one and only Michael J. Focci, who turns a big 3-0 tomorrow, so happy early birthday to you, Focci. Thank you, thank you. The big 3-0, yep, uh, leaving my 20s behind, just like I'm trying to leave behind that loss to the Knicks. <laughs> Alex, it was uh, it was disappointing. I mean, it was a sluggish, ugly game, but nothing yeah. was uglier than that fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, really, if you think about it, the Pacers – Kind of got off to a, a decent start. Sabonis played pretty well in that first half. You got some good play from Malcolm Brogdon as well. And then all of a sudden, it's just like things just started really getting shaken up by that defense from New York. And we know New York's a good defensive team. Not a great shooting night at all from Justin Holiday after having the big game against Philadelphia. The bench, I mean, we've talked about this. The bench was just absolutely atrocious, Fachi. They had a total of 13 points off the bench. And and Derrick Rose had 14 le- alone. Him and Emmanuel quickly were the story there. They they ended up having I think it's 44 points off the bench for the Knicks. So, you know when you're when the Knicks are scoring 44 points off the bench and you're scoring a total of like 13, that's that's a big difference. And relying a lot on your role players that have been playing well for you and, and they didn't show up last night. T.J. McConnell just one of eight. So really really frustrating lost. And let's just start with that fourth quarter. I mean, what did you notice in that fourth quarter? 
Uh, the Pacers went ice cold. I mean, just truly ice cold. And, and to put it in perspective, Alex, they actually missed their final 13 shots of the game. They wow. didn't score a field goal after Brogdon's layup at the seven with 7.06 remaining. So to put it in perspective, that's exactly what happened. Two of 20 shooting in the fourth quarter, the drought of all droughts. Yeah, so, I mean, the Pacers were up by 12 with about six minutes left in the third quarter, and, and it just kind of felt like, you know, the Knicks just kind of put their foot on the gas a little bit. And, you know, this guy didn't play in the game last time. For the Knicks, that was Taj Gibson, somebody that has always, to me, given the Pacers problems. He's just a force down low, good rebounder, good defensive player, not really an offensive threat whatsoever, but what he does defensively, to me, you know, he always seems to figure things out well, uh, especially when it comes to the Pacers. So just I, I was just a little bit perplexed by the lineup that started out that fourth quarter. Fachi, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it was like Brogdon ended up coming in for Keelan Martin. So you had Brogdon, TJ McConnell, Justin Holiday, Domas, and Gogo Batadze. I get that you want rim protection. I, I get that the Knicks are a little bit bigger with OB Toppin and with Taj Gibson, but do you really need two centers to guard OB Toppin and Taj Gibson? I, I felt like as decent as Goga played in those minutes, I mean, I don't want to discredit Goga because he wasn't like terrible. Just felt like they could have maybe went a different route. I completely agree because Goga was more effective in, I feel like his, his opening minutes, like earlier in the game. I mean, Look, from a shot-blocking standpoint, three blocks. We know he can do that well. But, yeah, you're, you're not trying to, you know, I wouldn't say that Obi Toppin and Taj Gibson are at the top of your list of guys to defend. So, you know, not the best lineup right there when the Pacers really needed a basket um, because, man, I mean, there, there's, there's no way to put it. I mean, 10 points in the fourth quarter, they desperately needed a basket. And that was the kind of game where you could have hoped maybe a Karis LeVert could have bailed us out or, or someone. I know Miles Turner kind of – from an offensive standpoint, really was not involved. I mean, yeah. it was hard to get anything really going for the Pacers last night. I mean, they, they shoot a season worst 37.2% from the field. From three-point land, nothing was going on. So offensively, they really came out flat in that fourth quarter. And, and just there's so many different ways to, to look at things. I mean, Justin Holiday was just the hero the other day off the bench. You move him into the starting lineup, it made that bench that much thinner. TJ McConnell, a guy that we just had for player of the week. I mean, he's probably had his, his roughest game of the year. I had one of eight shooting. I mean, he was a he was a minus 14. Just really didn't have it going. But the one thing that I thought was an eye-opener, just one assist from McConnell. It's one thing to not have it going offensively, you know, scoring the ball, but you usually can you know count on his distribution. So the bench just as a whole, man, there's no way to put this, but 13 points combined, one assist total, six of 23 from the field, 0 of 12 from three. I mean, there was nothing there. So it came yeah. out flat. No one responded. And like you mentioned, most of Sabonis' production, it felt like came early on and just kind of uh, went a little cold in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, Domas only got three shots in the fourth quarter. He uh, One was a three-point shot on the right-hand side of the court, and the other two were back-to-back -back when he missed the layup, got his rebound, missed it again, left it short. And at that point, he had played 39 minutes in the game. I put a tweet out about it, and I'm sure you saw it. Basically, I just said, it looks like Domas was gassed there. I completely yep. understand why he would be. 40 minutes in a game against the Knicks is as a grind. Don't get me wrong. 
but Carlisle always talks about going up with force. He talked about Turner not going up with force one time and then against the Knicks last time. And then he talked about how he dunked it and, and that's what he wanted. So, you know, maybe if Domas can dunk that ball next time, you, you know, you get those two points and stop the bleeding. But really, you know, it was just it was just a crazy game. And I'm sure you saw the the shot chart that went around. I think I Pacers blogger friend Derek over there posted a picture and it was just like everything was either a three or a shot at the rim. And, and there was just no make. So just a tough game overall. I felt like TJ McConnell, like you said, he'd been playing so well. When he doesn't play well, this team doesn't do very well to me. That's kind of how I feel. When he plays his best basketball, the Pacers usually win win games. And so last night in that fourth quarter, when it was him and Brogdon out there, you saw TJ kind of in the corner once again, doing what he doesn't do best, and that's stretching the floor. And it really made it easier to play four on five for the Knicks. They were able to overload one side. And then when you kick it over to McConnell, you know, number one, you're not going to count on him hitting those three-point shots. Even if he is shooting 40% up to this point, uh, it's just not something he's really good at. Number two, it takes him forever to get a shot oh, off. Forever. Right. So so you can easily just rotate over. I would have liked to have seen him maybe drive and penetrate once he got that op- open pass and just try to get in the paint and, and find something for somebody else. But it was just a weird, weird, weird lineup out there for a little bit, a little bit too long for me. They went back to the starters with about eight and a half minutes left, and even the starters really couldn't get anything cooking. But I, I don't really know. I mean, in that fourth quarter, Fachi, it was just it was just really bad basketball. Brogdon, to me, got a little bit shot happy. I think he was like one of six in that quarter, so he didn't play well. Miles Turner, like you said, oh, just oh of two in that quarter, shooting some threes on, on the right baseline. So, you know... <laughs> It was just a really not a great game overall from everybody. Frustrating loss after you just had some impressive wins against Philly and Utah. But at the end of the day, the Knicks are a good team. The Knicks are really good defensively. Madison Square Garden was electric. But I think one thing we need to bring up is just the absence of Chris Duarte not playing in that game. I don't think we realize how important he is to that starting five. And it doesn't even have to be about how many points he puts up. I just think defensively, he's athletic. He's got that lateral quickness, and he's able to guard those quicker guards, unlike Brogdon, who we've seen it for years and years now. I mean, he just – he kind of gets stuck in the mud a little bit, Fotch. Yeah, I mean, in a game where you mentioned it, the starters look gassed. It would have been great to have a healthy, you know, Chris Duarte out there. And This was the first time that we saw the Pacers without Duarte, and I didn't like what I saw. I mean, yeah. I very much, you know, value Chris Duarte and his ability to you know, knock down shots because it's it's just at this point, the Pacers could not buy themselves a basket. Two shots, like I mentioned, they made two baskets in the second quarter. And Duarte, from a three-point standpoint, I mean, you, you know you can count on him. And the Pacers last night, just from three, it was atrocious. I mean, 21.6%. That's what they shot. Eight of 37. One number to throw at you. TJ McConnell was 0 for 3 from 3. He had shot in three total threes in his last four games. So that's just too much. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know, you know, why he didn't continue to maybe drive it a little bit more, but it just feels like McConnell is someone that at any point if he gets it going, like against Philly when he scored three straight baskets at the end of the game, I mean, it can make a big difference. So this was the kind of game that it's kind of tough because the one thing the Pacers did really well was not turn the ball over. I mean, we've been talking about how way too many turnovers. They wasted a game where they only had seven turnovers. So 
that's one thing that's really unfortunate. And then I saw this stat, and, and of course it ended up happening. But the Pacers were six and one going into the fourth quarter with a lead, zero and seven without a lead in the fourth quarter. And you know they they, they caught a loss. So I felt promising that they had the lead, but in the end. They coughed it up, and this Pacers team, we know we've talked about it. There's a lot of, like, really good B-list players, not quite the A-list players. If guys that are as vital to the team as Miles Turner and TJ McConnell not only don't have it going that night, but are actually a combined two for 12, we're not going to win. So those guys, vital pieces to the team. I would have liked to have seen Turner involved a bit more, and especially early on. I don't think he got that first basket until the third quarter, and then I don't believe, you know, didn't score in the fourth. So, you know, it was one three-pointer that we're talking about. All four shots came from the three. So, you know, I, I, we need to see more because this team is better when Miles Turner is, is producing and both the bigs are producing well. If, if one of them is just going to be non-existent, I, I can't find a way that the Pacers are going to win. And Turner doesn't need to be giving us – 20 points a night by any means if we can get 10 this team is that much more dangerous yeah i mean i saw a lot of people saying oh turner needs more shots turner needs more shots but look a couple things the 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 knicks did differently one they put julius randall on to start the game and they put mitchell robinson on domas and and once again we saw domas start the game off well so mitchell robinson i still think he's a good player he's a young player he's a good shot blocker but you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily on that same level as people like to put him on with like Miles and Domas. So uh, clearly, clearly the Pacers outmatched him there. But Julius Randle did a really good job on Turner and, and they weren't giving him the open looks. And so one thing, if you notice with Tom Thibodeau's defense is they like to over, overload which side the balls on and leave the weak side open. So a lot of times Turner was that, you know, second or third pass to swing the ball to the weak side to let a guard drive. So that's why he really wasn't even looking to shoot. Like, usually if you watch Turner, he'll look to shoot the ball. I think in the fourth quarter, he got a little bit trigger happy. Maybe the third quarter, not trigger happy, but he came in looking to shoot. And there was one that he knocked down in the corner. And I remember Domas got super excited because uh, he put his hands up in the air and cheered. So I think he was like, all right, good. We got Miles going now. That's what you need because Turner has been the best three-point shooter on this team. So you need him to take those looks. But if they're not open, Turner doesn't usually force them. So Unless the shot clock's running down, you won't see Turner force a shot unless he's wide open. So that's kind of how I viewed last night's game with Turner. Like offensively, there just weren't a lot of open looks for him to get there. And maybe there could have been some ways to send him towards the basket. And Carlisle addressed that in the press game, uh, in the post game press conference. I always mess that up when I say it, but uh, <laughs> but but Turner really just he could have been assertive a little bit more on the glass. Not a good rebounding game from him at all. Had a couple blocks, but. I like you said, the points don't matter to me. I, he should have been more effective on the glass. Only three rebounds, it hurts. But at the same time, I'm not going to criticize him for one bad game no. out of the last t- couple of weeks because really he's been really good and he still had a positive impact if you look at the plus minus. And just it's just a tough game. I mean, not much else to say. I think we should just put a bow on this and wrap it up. I don't have any other thoughts unless you do. The last thing I was going to say is I, I tweeted out yesterday to say, curious how the Knicks guard Miles Turner differently this game, given of how he he went 7 of 10, you know, from three last time against them at 25 points. Tom Thibodeau is an absolute madman who is he's obsessive over these game plans. So I knew Turner was going to – he was going to have a rough one, but, you know, I obviously didn't think this, but at the same point, just like you mentioned, he's been fantastic lately. The whole team, for the most part – 
was off. I mean, yeah. really, just you look across the board, they just didn't have it. That's what it was. It came to the fourth quarter. They went absolutely flat, and that's going to happen at some point. I mean, the, the players, they got tired, whatever it is. Ball wasn't going in. It, it happens defensively. They've looked better lately. You just got to chalk this up as, hey, it, it just wasn't our night. Yeah, so the good news is Carlisle did say that he's hoping that Duarte will be back for the game against the, the Pistons on Wednesday. So we're looking forward to that. But Fachi, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to bring on Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports Indiana. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. All right, everybody joining us now on Setting the Pace. He is the sideline reporter and the host of the pregame postgame show for Bally Sports Indiana. That's Jeremiah Johnson. JJ, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for the return visit. You guys have had quite a, uh, a Rolodex of guests, so I was glad I was able to fit back in. <laughs> Always. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. So obviously last night, we've already kind of hit on that in the first segment, so don't want to spend too much time there, but you know, we're, we're good, six and good because I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I, I figured as much. So we're, we're 15 games into the season, six and nine. You know, it's it's been an uphill battle for sure. But looking at this Pacers team over the last couple of weeks, what, what have been your overall thoughts just on how this team's been playing? I just think the biggest thing is that each game, I'm not quite sure what to expect stylistically. And I think it's been um, it's been a little fascinating to watch Rick Carlisle treat each game as its own 48 minute battle. And, you know, him actually with me acknowledging sometimes before games what the game plan is and the style that they want to play and going back to you know Sacramento where I really feel like things started to come together a little bit on the road trip obviously the two wins before the road trip out west they started to figure things out a little bit but and even though it was only a two and two road trip I really feel like that could have been a 4-0 trip and you know the Sacramento game is one where they wanted to slow it down they wanted to make sure the Kings didn't run they somehow kept Rashawn Holmes off the boards, which they've never been able to do. And then each game it, since then, we've seen um, the trying to play Pacers basketball, but also adjust to what the other team 
does well. And so I think they're in a position to play a lot of close games. One of the things that Rick Carlisle has said that I agree with is that the margin for error is, is pretty uh, thin or slim in the NBA right now. And even more so with this team, with the number of injuries that they've had. And, and let's be honest, to have a lot of, you know, above average players, but no superstars, you're sometimes if, if one or two of those guys has an off night, it can really hurt you. And even some of the losses the Pacers have had, I'm not going to blame any of the losses on any one or two players, but if you just look at one or two guys and some of those losses and they go 0 for 8, and instead if they go 4 for 8, maybe it's a different story. So uh, I think this is a team that the sum of the parts has to be – everybody has to be working together. And I I still think after 15 games, they're taking steps in the right direction. And I still believe at the end of this week, if they can get to 500, which won't be easy to win the next three, but they're all winnable games. If you could get to 500 or maybe even – at the end of 20 to be 10 and 10 with the way you started, that's all you could ask for. Absolutely. First off, JJ, welcome back to the show. We missed you. Um, <laughs> honored to have you back. But like you mentioned, I mean, this season has been, there's been so many close games that it's like there's sleepless nights. Even if the team wins, I'm way too jacked up to go to sleep over a win. <laughs> if they lose, I, I'm like, oh my God, if the ball bounced one other way, we would have won. So uh, this season, is it going to be a, closing out the game by committee or are we going to be able to find a closer on this team at the end of the game that can bail us out? Well, I, I tend to think that you'll have three guys that, you know, are always on the court and, you know, Malcolm Brogdon leads that list. And you would think that DeMontis Sabonis, especially now that we've seen Sabonis and Turner playing uh, together a little bit more, he's pretty much always on the court. And I still think right now that Malcolm Brogdon is that guy because he did it last year a lot. He seems to be comfortable. The one thing that I I have some concerns with is if teams really, you know, increase the pressure, sometimes it's difficult for him to get into that offense quicker. But if he can get to his spot, I still like the ball in Malcolm Brogdon's hands. And I think um, if Karis LeVert can have more time to play, he's someone you're always going to want on the court because of what he's able to do in terms of athleticism. But the other spot or two, you never really know. Maybe it's TJ McConnell. Justin Holiday, if you need the defense. I mean, we've seen a lot of different five-man combinations close the game. And because they haven't been able to finish with success as much as they probably would have liked, that's why I think maybe you're still tweaking things. But if, if you're fully healthy and it's something that we use as a qualifying statement so often, because when is this team fully healthy? But if you are fully healthy, then you've got, you know, at least five or six that stand above the rest. And I even if I include T.J. Warren, then you've got some decisions to make because then Chris Duarte, maybe he's not in your your final five and maybe he's just a rookie. But we've still seen he's a guy that likes to have the ball late as well. So I do think they have options. I think you need to trust over the big picture of the season, Rick Carlisle, to make the right decisions. But know that it's not always going to work. And sometimes it just comes down to shots falling or not. Yeah, so I, I want to transition here a little bit because the talk of Pacers Twitter, and I'm sure you've seen it a lot, has been Miles Turner over the last couple of weeks. And in that, I, I feel like, you know, we might we may not have been hearing as much about DeMontis Sabonis and how well he's played this year. I know Carlisle isn't often asked about DeMontis Sabonis in a lot of the postgame press conferences, but what have your thoughts been overall on Domas this year? And do you think that he's had to adjust quite a bit to maybe Rick Carlisle's uh, offensive and defensive system? 
Um, you know, I feel like defense is probably more suited for him because we're not seeing him pick up guys at half court and and trapping all over the court. He's still surprisingly, uh, when I had saw a tweet or maybe looked about a week ago, was leading the league in distance travel, which I still think that's not desirable for him defensively. The biggest thing is is offensively. And I did ask Quinn Buckner actually during a commercial commercial break a couple of games ago about his assist numbers because I just you know, you think of him as a, a triple-double guy or a guy that's, you know, going to be eight to ten assists. And we saw him so much. We saw so many times last season, uh, you know, starting the offense and, and finding Doug McDermott cutting to the basket. I think it's taking some of these guys maybe a little bit of time to, with this offense, find those opportunities where they can cut to the basket and Domas finds them or uh, you know, maybe they're open for three and he gets it to them. Um, so that's the biggest thing is from a playmaking perspective, Maybe he's taken a little bit of a backseat. He has less of a role offensively in that area. He still has a high usage rate, and he is still someone that they still try to run offense through. He's setting that high pick and roll more frequently um, than anybody else. So maybe he's had to sacrifice just a little bit. But at the same time, he's fighting so hard inside. He still is getting rebounds. He you know, is getting those post opportunities. The biggest key is finishing. And if, if he can draw fouls, which is easier said than done, I think for Domas as well. So, um, you know, to answer your question, I think that he's in the right role defensively. I don't think of him as sacrificing defensively, um, getting maybe more looks for three uh, and knocking some of those down. I think that's a good thing. Um, but I would love to see a little bit more playmaking and maybe just see a few more people accept that Doug McDermott role of I'm going to, I'm Domas has the ball in the high post. I'm going to cut back door and he's going to hit me. That's one thing I've been missing a little bit this season. I'm right with you. I miss Domas, the playmaker, the guy that was getting, you know, averaging just about seven assists last year. So I would love to see a little bit more of that if we can get those cuts. But touching on our other big, Miles Turner, a guy that when the Pacers are able to get him 10 or more shots this year, they're four and two this season. And he's actually averaging 20 points per game on 61% shooting in those six games. Do the Pacers need to make more of an emphasis getting Turner involved early to keep his confidence high as I don't know about you, but it feels like when Miles' first shot goes in each game, you get a different turner. It does. It's one of those, uh, I think you're damned if you do, damned if you don't situations because you don't want things to come out of the offense or unnaturally. And sometimes, uh, maybe one of his best recent games, he got the hot potato when the shot clock was winding down, hit a three, and then he took off. But then if he misses one of those, or as we saw in New York, I think his first shot was an air ball. And did that make him less aggressive? I don't know. He would never admit as much. And I don't know that any coach or player would say, well, yeah, because he missed that first shot or because he had an air ball, he was less aggressive. But the numbers do speak for themselves. I think he only had three field goal attempts against the Knicks. And I think that this team is best when everybody is between 10 and 15. Maybe one guy has more. And we've seen that Karis LeVert might be that high volume shooter. I'd rather him have a little bit better efficiency. And I think that will come with more you know, long stretches of good health. But um, I think you can do things to get Miles involved offensively. But the other thing is, uh, if he keep, keeps crashing the glass, I think that he's going to get more opportunities naturally. I don't think it's the kind of thing where you need to just make sure you're diagramming all these plays and, and, and to give the ball on a silver platter to Miles and say, we need you to have these shots. This is what you need to do. I think you just continue to remind him to have an aggressive mindset. If Domas has the ball up high, maybe he's the one that cuts back door. Maybe McConnell's dribbling up the court, and, and 
and Miles goes to look for the lob. I, I just think he is – you tell him he can shoot more, you, you set up some opportunities, but you continually make him try to be more aggressive. And as long as he can get more attempts and continue to play an even amount, the way he's playing defensively, he's still a net positive to me. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, defensively, he's been awesome. And I love seeing him being aggressive and effective on the glass because really I, I could care less about the points. We've talked about that on this podcast. It's just the rebounding is so is so pivotal. And I think Carlisle has really done a great job of emphasizing that. But I want to kind of take a bigger picture look right now and looking at the Eastern Conference. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Washington to be the number one seed after 13 games. Chicago, number two at 10 and four. Cleveland sitting at nine and six is the number five seed. So really, I, I think it's been a, a pretty loaded Eastern Conference this year. And I'm just curious your thoughts on maybe the overall play of the Eastern Conference and, and where the Pacers can fit into that and, and work their way up into that top six, hopefully. Yeah, you would like to think that when they were on a stretch where they had won five of seven, they could make up some ground in the standings. They at least are, you know, closer to the middle pack, I guess, because you, right now you're saying those 10 win and nine win teams, they're all in the top five spots. And then you've got a, a three, eight win teams, a couple of sevens, Bucks, Hawks, Pacers, all with six. So everyone is within striking distance. And I do think that maybe to where we used to say you need 20 games to really get a good idea of things. We might be to the halfway point before we really know where the maybe the cut line is in the Eastern Conference because some of these young teams that are playing with so much enthusiasm and confidence, all it will take is a key injury here or a long road trip where they hit the losing skids and then maybe they're reminded, oh, maybe maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. And at the same time, teams like the Bucks and the Hawks, just because they have six wins, I don't think anybody in that locker room in Milwaukee or Atlanta is panicking or saying, well, we're out of it this year. I think they fully believe they will be top six and clear of the play-in game for sure. So what this means is every game is going to be competitive. And I think it's back to what Fachi was saying about playing close games. Uh, there are going to be less blowouts, I think. Last year, COVID maybe played an impact. Maybe there were some nights where you were just glad to get the game in and you moved on. Sometimes teams were shorthanded. We don't know about the effect of fans, but we do know that it did have an effect. Uh, we saw a lot of blowouts, and, and the Pacers led right into that because when they played really well, there were times that it looked beautiful, and then and there were other times that I wanted to uh, maybe stick a fork in my eye because it was hard to watch. <laughs> this season, it does seem like every game is going to be close, and if you don't tune in at the beginning, which I advise you do tune in to pregame and, and first quarter, just know that you might catch a close one if you tune in in the third or fourth quarter, uh, and that's especially in the Eastern Conference even though that game, you know, you would say right now, Detroit and Orlando, if you're playing those teams, those are the only two quote unquote games that are gimmies or games that you at least go into and say, well, you make sure you don't overlook those two teams. Anyone else, it goes without saying you're not going to overlook them because of the way they've been playing. I mean, the season you described, I think, fits with this stat because it's like things could go so differently and just, you know, the bounce of a ball, one shot, whatever it is. But on the Sideline Guys podcast, you know, a podcast that you host, a great podcast everyone should check out. Um, you guys mentioned a great stat about maybe a week ago that through the first 11 games of the season, the Pacers were leading the NBA in games out shooting their opponents. So that's from a field goal percentage standpoint. Yet they were just four and seven, I believe, at the time. What is the missing ingredient to turn those losses into wins? 
Uh, probably the turnovers, because, you know, if you think about those field goal shooting numbers, you the field goal shooting isn't affected when you get, you know, a, a travel violation or you throw the ball away. It wasn't it doesn't count as a missed shot. And so um, Rick Carlisle's big about possessions, and that's why he's been focusing on the rebounding. But he's also worried or concerned or emphasizing the need to take care of the basketball. And as he told me on Saturday, not throw the ball and hit the non-smoking signs or the exit signs. He doesn't want to lose possessions. And so that's the biggest thing to me. Um, it's basically taking better care of the basketball. And then in the rebounding, while the numbers are better, there are, there is still an issue in terms of second chance points given up. And those lead to easy baskets for the opposition. So, um, you like that the shots are going down. Now, if the shots were going down with a little more frequency in New York, chalk that up as a win. I mean, that if the Pacers, I'm reminded of one of the favorite things I ever heard, and I've heard Brad Stevens say a lot of things that stuck with me. But after they lost to UConn in the national championship game, I was one of about five or six reporters that were standing there. And, and I, someone said, asked Brad, said, is there anything you would like to have done differently? He said... If we shot 30%, we're the national champs. I would have liked to have shot 30%. And that night, Butler shot 19%. I mean, you could say that while the uh, the game wasn't as big a deal, Pacers-Knicks last night, if the Pacers shoot 44%, they win the game. I mean, the 37% is not going to win you many games. But to your point, they've been shooting well enough to win a lot more games than they have on on their in their win column. So maybe water finds its level. You definitely work on the turnovers. And you work on some of those second chance points given up, and I think you'll have more wins. Well, I'm hopeful because I, I still think this team is really good. I just feel like because the the wins and the losses have kind of you know the wins have come less frequently than the the losses. People just overreact quite a bit, but I still think trying to get these guys healthy, trying to get them integrated into the system, it's just like let's let's be patient, let's see what happens here, but. A lot, of, a lot of conversation recently has been about Karis LeVert and maybe his inefficiency so far. And I'm curious your thoughts on how he's played and, and what you think he does well for this team and if you've seen it or not this season and, and maybe some ways that you think he could improve his game to be more effective. Well, I'll turn it right back around to you guys because I know you watch every game and you talk about this team as much as anybody. And I'm not going to make a comparison of Karis LeVert to um, – you know, say that this player is like this player, but just having a player like this. And let's go back to Victor Oladipo. And when, before injury or even after at times, was he a high-percentage field goal shooter? No. It, in his best season of 2017, I feel like that was pretty much it. But other than that, you, know, you could get yeah, a lot and he, of And he shot better from three that season than he had at any point in his career. Now, I, I also don't know that right now Karis LeVert is maybe the defensive player that Victor was, especially that season. However, what you could say about Victor is that he could, in before injury, I mean, he could get into the paint. He could make some plays with his athleticism. He could do things that nobody else on that roster could do. I think the same way about Karis LeVert, especially when you don't have T.J. Warren. Now, not that they're the same in terms of athleticism. I think they both have different things that they do well. But I am willing to look past if he's a 40 you know, on the season, let's say he's a 40 to 45% field goal shooter. I don't know that I'm going to say this is, you know, this is all bad because look at last night. So he's five for 14, but he was seven for seven from the free throw line. There is value to having a player that can get to the free throw line. This is a franchise. And as long as I've had this position, it feels like the Pacers have 
been, you know, their opponents have made more free throws than the Pacers have shot, the old Bob Knight statistics. So because of the things he does well, I'm willing to overlook maybe the things that he doesn't. And I'm also um, confident that the one thing that I want to see improve just a little bit is that three-point shooting. I think he has a better shot from outside than to go back to Victor Oladipo in terms of the form and the way it looks. I think he has a better chance at uh, long-term um, success and efficiency outside the arc than maybe even Victor did. And I hate to keep going back and forth to those two, but I don't feel like back then we had a lot of people complaining if he had the random, um, you know, six for 15 night, people weren't as upset. How many games has Karis LeVert played this season or has he been fully healthy? He's the one player of, if any, that we need to just take a big pause for and, and allow him some time. Because I think you saw while the offense was completely different and he was asked to maybe do a little bit more, we saw last season that he is the special kind of player that maybe this team didn't have. And I thought he was the biggest reason for optimism that the Pacers could make a jump because I thought he is the one guy on this roster that could be something that he is not right now, could make that leap, could be that all-star type of player. And I think they really need that from him. Have we seen it this season up to this point? No, but I also think that he still is very valuable on this team. Completely agree. I mean, we're talking about just seven games into the season. He already had to miss a couple games because that back was flaring up again. A back injury can really derail just about any one season. But when you mentioned the free throws, I mean, he shot seven free throws uh, against New York. The whole team only shot 16. So it shows he can put pressure on the defense, get to the line. I think the best is yet ahead. But another guy who, you know, will be competing with minutes for him, but is still in the starting lineup right now, or when he's healthy, Chris Duarte. Uh, Duarte mania may have cooled off a tad bit because we got spoiled week one. I mean, any guy who opens up the season with 27 points, immediately expectations rose. But do you see maybe Duarte's role changing to being a go-to scorer off the bench with TJ Warren, you know, coming back to the lineup? Or did you see him better as maybe that fourth or fifth option where there's less pressure in the starting lineup? I think actually uh, you're – off the bench go-to guy may be the, the best role for him this season. If you had all five guys, it's still, as I said, a big if on on health because he has shown he is not shy. He would embrace the, the opportunity to maybe get a few more shots up. And there have been some five-man combinations in the bench unit that I have looked out there at times and thought, ugh, you know, offense is going to be hard to come by. And I wouldn't feel that way with Duarte. Also, once Malcolm Brogdon – um, was able to play a little bit more, and then Karis LeVert came back. I do feel like that uh, Duarte was still searching for his place with that group. He, he, maybe you get enough veterans on the court, and you're reminded, okay, maybe I am still a rookie, or maybe um, I'm fifth in the pecking order. Let's say Miles has a good game, and and all of a sudden I'm not the, the first or second option. I'm the fourth or fifth, fifth option, and I think that could get into your head a little bit. So I would have no problem if he came off the bench and could be the leader of that second unit, uh, it's a long, it's a, it's a now play drafting him, but it's also uh, a long-term play as well. And I don't think he would be slighted in the least if he didn't start. That being said, I'm more impressed the last couple of weeks with how he's, um, his playmaking has been his assists. Uh, the defense is the thing that he's going to have to continue to work on. I think teams might, take advantage of him because he's a rookie and just making sure he knows where he is and what his responsibilities are but I was a little worried he was going to be a catch and shoot guy the first couple of games and we've seen him attack the basket and we've seen him find teammates when he does attack the basket quite a bit more so I feel really good about his all-around offensive game yeah Duarte has been so fantastic and, and defensively I think that 
you saw his absence a little bit last night just because of his athleticism, his lateral quickness. I thought he did a good job on Kimba Walker in that first Knicks game, so would have liked to have seen him out there maybe guarding some of those quicker guards. I just think he does a good job at that. And while he's still learning, of course, he's going to have slip-ups and, and he's going to be learning throughout the game. But I really have enjoyed watching Duarte. So I guess my last question for you, and I hate to do this because I'm going to bring it down a little bit, is what is going on with O'Shea Brissett? It, it seems quite shocking from how well he played last season to you know, finally getting that, that, you know, that opportunity against the Heat, and, and he played a couple more games in that in the rotation, and then it just kind of felt like he really hasn't been given a, a larger opportunity. So have you got a chance to talk to Rick Carlisle about that, or have, have, is there anything going on with O'Shea you can inform us on? Yeah, I have not specifically asked Rick about that. The one thing that I noticed maybe in training camp in the preseason was that I didn't think his shots from the outside were falling as much as, as we saw last year. And it was one of the things when he burst onto the scene, the numbers outside the arc didn't really match up what he had done at that point, up to that point in his career. And so uh, for him to be a player in that stretch four that you want, he really has to be a threat from outside the arc. And this is just my observation, not coming from Coach Carlisle, but I'm not sure that he has the confidence that, you know, with frequency, he's that threat outside the arc. And if he's not, I think there are also a couple of times where he came in and, uh, you know, he seems like a super nice guy and I've enjoyed the brief, you know, interactions in person that I've had with him now this season. Um, I don't want to say he's low energy, but the physicality portion, maybe that's not his, his game either. It seems like, uh, you know, I think there was one time he came in and, and maybe got pushed around for a rebound. And so those are the two things that I think he still has room to improve on his shooting and maybe just being a little bit more of a bruiser, more of a physical player. And if they can see that from him, you still kind of have a lot of options with him long-term because of his contract situation. So I can understand fans being a little bit upset. I expected more out of him this season. But when they they started the year splitting up Miles and Domas's minutes so much, it did come at the expense of Goga. I did think that he would maybe get those minutes at the four. But then we've seen that Torrey Craig can play the four and then can go small outside of the one center as well. So um, I can say that I'm a little surprised. But then again, what I kind of saw this coming because – it didn't seem like he was playing at the same level to start the season and then during training camp as I did last year. So I wouldn't give up on O'Shea Brissett. I, he's a great guy to have on the team, but maybe if you had high expectations for the year, temper those just a little bit, obviously. Yeah, the, the way last year really ended, I feel like it put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. And O'Shea was that guy that gave you hope at the end of the year when there really wasn't much else to root for. So I think we all hoped he'd be the backup for, but it just hasn't worked out so far. Still rooting for him. But uh, for my last question, I would say who's maybe that guy that maybe we're not talking about or maybe we are, but has taken their game to the next level this year for the Pacers? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, everyone's talking about Miles Turner, right? And mm -hmm. everyone talked about Chris Duarte at the start of the season. And TJ McConnell, you can't stop talking about him from what you've seen over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, the one thing that I'll just say is the guy that's probably talked about the least is the one that is the most dependable. And that's Justin Holiday because he is someone that 
is always there. Even though he had a sprained ankle, he never missed any time. He still has the longest active streak in the NBA for consecutive games played. Is he always going to hit his shots? No. I mean, he, I would reference him in one of those games where he was 0 for 8 or 9 and the Pacers lost. And if he would have gone 4 for 8, maybe that's a win. But in general, the things that he does, the versatility that he shows, I don't know that I could say he's taking his game to another level. But what's as impressive as anything to me is where he is at in his career. He is the oldest Pacer. And I, I feel like he's just steady. He, I'm not seeing any drop off in his play. Um, he's a guy that if you think back to where the Pacers were when when they signed him with, I think, a one year contract and maybe 12th in the rotation and where he is right now, you're glad you've got him now and you, you're glad you've got him for the future as well. So maybe not a direct answer to what your question is and it's also probably hard for me because I actually talk about this team every single day and every single game so I feel like I do spend a little bit of time talking about every single player uh, I look forward to talking about TJ Warren soon that's the one I want to see oh yeah when TJ Warren comes back I mean that'll be a totally different conversation so we can kind of get an idea of what this team might look like but JJ want to thank you so much for coming on and, and we want to give you the opportunity here to Plug anything that you want to plug and, and let listeners know where they can find you at on social media. Sure. Uh, at Pacers JJ on Twitter, trying to get the Instagram going again, but uh, I'm, I'm just never as involved in that uh, social media uh, outlet as I probably should be, but I'm a Pacers JJ on Instagram as well. And we record the sideline guys podcast. Thanks for the shout out. Fachi. That's every Tuesday. We recorded one today. I uh, had Kristen Airy join us about midway through, bounced around a few topics. And we've also, um, I, I know you guys were complimentary of the Chris Duarte podcast. So we're going to try to have uh, not necessarily every week or two, but at least more frequency of in-season player guests. So we're going to work on having that. So you can look forward to, you know, every, every few weeks, maybe having a player guest on the Sideline Guys podcast. And I look forward to potentially being on the road again this season. We, we haven't heard anything. And so we don't know anything about that, but, Always am able to share some insights from the road, and that helps on the sideline guys as well. JJ, appreciate you coming on today. We look forward to having you back on soon, and keep up the awesome work that you're doing this year. All right. I appreciate uh, your work as well and your passion at the same time. Always a delight to talk with Jeremiah Johnson, so I want to thank him so much for coming on. But Fachi, as we wrap up today's show, really just we got to get this one against the Detroit Pistons, and thank God no Kelly Olenek in that game. Hey, you never know what Kelly Olenek is up to. Uh, a guy that's uh, been labeled a dirty player at times, but at the same point is just effective player on the, on the court. I mean, we saw him absolutely tear it up last year for, with Houston. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's been solid in many different stops, but I wouldn't mind not having Kelly Olenek out there. Yeah, no, I mean, anytime he's out, it makes me not fear that a player could get injured exactly. by just a dirty player or something like that. Like, you know, Kelly Olenek's not a bad basketball player by any stretch of the mean, but I just feel like he just gets a little carried away sometimes out there. But regardless, that's uh, that's that's a good opportunity for the Pacers to hopefully get back on track going up against a struggling Pistons team who is still in rebuild. They have the first overall pick in the draft, Cade Cunningham. Hopefully he can get blocked by Miles Turner and be part of the Miles High Club. That iPacers blog, like I mentioned, Derek Kramer does update. So we'll have to see if he gets his debut on that. But Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook, SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And if you haven't already, make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review 
send in your screenshot to alexgoldenmba.gmail.com. I will make sure I put a link in the description for that. I think I forgot to last time, so I sincerely apologize. But make sure you guys go ahead and do that. We've already got quite a few names in the drawing. And if you haven't noticed, these City city Edition jerseys are flying off the racks. They're about $160. So uh, they're not cheap. The, The normal Pacers jerseys are about $110. So they're about $50 more. But, hey, they're worth it. They've got a limited quantity right now. So just wanted to let you guys know, like, we're going to make sure we get you one. Not sure if we're going to have to wait for a little bit because they're sold out, but we're going to get you one once we reach our goal of 175. So long story short, really appreciate you guys giving us those ratings and reviews. It is uh, not going notice, but Fachi, if you're excited to see the Pacers start another winning streak, say these three words. Let's go Pacers. Oh, this is a bucket. TJ scoring. And one! 3J scoring. I like that one, huh? Yep. I know. I came up with it all by myself.